1: Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. This is a show about people who have done just that. Who have come to a place in their lives where there seemed to be no hope, no possibility of change. When everything was grim and yet they didn't give up. They hung on to sometimes what was just a thread but they hung on knowing that if they have the right attitude and they use tools that they have learned at some point in their life that things were going to change. And they did. And that's why this is so exciting because many of us can relate to these kind of stories. And even if we can't relate, it certainly gives us encouragement and hope that people with a passion to never give up will succeed. And some of my guests have survived everything from extreme poverty to being homeless or severe depression or abuse or disease, incredible circumstances of many different types. And I'm so happy to be able to share their stories because everybody has a story. Everybody can relate to different people's stories depending upon the situation. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries and with a large audience, and I know that people all over the world are looking for the same thing, and that is hope, encouragement, change, new direction, and that's what my guests have to offer these are people who have not just survived but thrived and so that's what's exciting so i also want to thank you listeners because without you guys we would not have a show and i appreciate your feedback and sharing these stories and we look forward to many many more thank you with me today i have Thad cummings Thad is the author of a book entitled Running from Fear and Weathering the Corporate Storm. Now Thad holds seminars and he speaks on all matters of fear. And I think this is an issue that affects a lot of people, if not all of us, from one time or another. He also speaks on worth. And we're going to talk also about what redefining the word enough means. Thad's passion is bringing new conversations to the landscape where all voices are heard. Barriers are broken down. This sounds exciting. I'm getting exciting just reading your bio, Thad. And the polarization of our community is diminished. So these are the subjects that Thad is going to cover today. And I welcome you. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having me, Carol.
1: So. We're going to talk about to begin with a really low time in your life. Lead up to that as well and give us a little background, but the time in your life that I'm referring to is when you went from having a family, a seven-figure net worth, multiple businesses, and a nonprofit. You went from there to becoming broke, familyless, and facing your deathbed. So give us a little background about Thad and then what brought him to that point.
2: Yeah, so um, I I had uh, what you might deem a colorful childhood. So growing up, I, um, experienced a lot of, uh, you know, different types of abuses. And, um, one, one of the most difficult facts that came out of that, um, that, that was both physically and verbally, uh, beaten into me was that I was never going to amount to anything, mm-hmm. that I was never going to become enough. And, um, that, that driving force in my life decided that, um, I was not only going to prove my family wrong, Um, But it was also actually reinforced uh, in, in me through the face of religion. And so I also decided at the time that I was going to prove God wrong. And so my belief was that if I could, in theory, save the world, then I would be worthy, not only in my family's eyes, but in God's eyes. And so I started on this trajectory. When I went to to, to college, actually, and I started a business and um, it it was a struggle. Um, But after several years, I became successful and one business turned into two and two turned into three. And then I had a nonprofit and they were all social enterprises and I was working on different you know different service projects locally and around the world and 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 as you alluded to you can quickly see where this is going um and and one one day i find myself a little bit sick and and then very sick and then very very sick and and fast forwarding to 2016 where you know after a couple years of 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 facing extreme uncertainty and 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 my deathbed as. uh recovery wasn't seen in sight. I also lost all of my businesses. I lost my nonprofit, my family split, uh, life, life really began to crumble in about the span of three months when I went from quote unquote, having it all as we define it in American culture to, to having nothing. And I, and I remember my biggest, my, my, my biggest aha moment was, um, I, I was lying on a camping mattress pad in an empty apartment with no furniture and I was staring up at the ceiling and it was about three in the morning I couldn't sleep and uh something had finally dawned on me when I looked over and realized that my phone had been silent um Mm. you know coming from this reality of a phone that never was silent it was always text messages and emails and voicemails and and I realized that the world was moving on and it was moving on without me And um, that was that was a very, very sobering and painful reality for me to face.
1: I want to back up a little bit and regarding your family, I'm not talking about your the family that you had when you became successful. But during the time of the abuse, what happened when you became successful? Did they change towards you? no (laughs) okay because sometimes you know they're like oh that and they take credit for it you know (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that didn't happen for you okay
2: (laughs) no there there wasn't a reconciliation within my family I I can confidently say that
1: (laughs) and so the reason I'm asking you that question is because you were still alone as far as that goes correct
2: yeah, you, you you know what I think one of the pains that we often don't talk about is is there's you, you know, you have physical abuse, there's psychological abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's verbal abuse. There's all these different types of abuse mm-hmm. that you can experience as a child. but one of the most painful that I ever actually experienced was the pain of isolation. and that's that 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 sting of of feeling alone and not feeling loved and not feeling that you have worth or that you matter in this world. and i and I think that's a topic that most of us touch at some point in our lives and and we don't do a good job as a society of addressing or even acknowledging and talking about that in a safe and helpful way.
1: And part of that might be too because hopefully we can move past it Mm -hmm. and so that that's one of the reasons that I appreciate people sharing their backgrounds on this show is because other people may be where you were and so they can relate to that pain and giving them hope that it doesn't have to stay there. Yeah. you have moved past. So thank you for sharing that. So now you are at that pivotal point. And I'd like you to also explain, Like you said something that I, I appreciate, which was you were it was geared into you, you know, you were constantly being told that you'll never be enough. And that had to affect you and some people it will affect in a negative and others it'll make them passionate to be sure and prove them wrong, which is I believe what what you said when you went away to college Mm -hmm. and began your businesses, etc. So maybe expound a little bit more on that and how people might relate to that and and give some insight regarding that.
2: Yeah, you, you you know you're you're right, and there's these two outcomes that you can typically have to it. One is you you almost accept it as an innate truth, and 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 you you fall into victimhood. And I and I did that at several points in my life, and you believe these narratives that people are telling you, and you go down a very negative path. Like I said, I've I've done that, and but something inside of me switched when I decided this was going to be my driving force that i was going to take this pain and this anger and try and mold it into into this force for good and 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 so that relationship is 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 a very awkward balance because when you're trying to build companies or save the world or start nonprofits people are always going to applaud you and they're going to cheer mm-hmm. you on and and they can't necessarily and especially in my case because i was very good at hiding it they couldn't see what was actually happening behind the curtain? So it looks like I'm this young entrepreneur who's just crushing it out there and really making a difference in the world, and actually I'm dying a slow, painful death on the inside, both both literally, obviously, with my health issues, but also figuratively, um, you, you know, with my mental health. And and part of the part of the failure that actually led up to me writing my first book was this reality was that. I was basing my worth and value now no longer on my family, but on the success of my companies, on the success of my service programs and my nonprofits. And when all that's taken away from you, I was back at you know starting at square zero again because right. well, I, I moved on from my childhood, but now everything else that was defining me, everything else that gave my worth, was now taken from me again. And so, it it was that same reality that. What do I do now? And 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 unfortunately, I'm very stubborn and I'm very hard headed. And and for me, mm-hmm. um, I I needed to lose everything in in order to have a wake up call. If if I just lost a company or just got sick or just you know just lost my family, it wouldn't have been enough for me. So oh, sometimes okay. some people need to lose something. Other people like me need to lose everything to have the opportunity to wake up. But coming through that. And 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 I spent you know six straight months in therapy and reading books and workshops and trying to understand it and heal from my childhood and heal from the pain of everything going on. I will be honest and say that it was my proverbial hell. There was nothing easy about it, and I'm still working through it two and a half years later. It's not like I ever crossed a finish line and everything's perfect and magical in life, but I was able to start processing through some of the things that led to healing and forgiveness in my own life. Like, for example, one of the things that I talk about in, in the book Running From Fear is I was able to finally forgive and heal with people that had hurt me from my childhood when I realized some certain things like perhaps hurt people hurt people. Mm. It's it's this notion that we don't wake up one day and everything's perfect and we decide, I'm just going to go ruin my neighbor's life, right? no. We don't take we don't take our aggression out in traffic or strangers on the street when when everything's going well our day we hurt people when we are hurting ourselves. And I had to see and feel and understand the process of the pain of those people and hurt me. And when I could finally see that for myself, I was able to not take it so personally and release release that and and and, and forgive them. And and here's the reality of it. People like my father who had passed away when I was in high school, I was never going to be able to literally, you know, have a have a healing reconciliation relationship with him. But I was still able to forgive the things from my childhood. And in that process, you realize that forgiveness is also actually really about yourself and letting go of that anger and that resentment and those judgments that rob you of your joy that keeps you from living in the present moment today. And so that's why I say this isn't this is easy work. But through the acts of surrendering and healing and forgiveness, it's, it's led me to live a life of much more joy than I ever knew possible when I, again, quote-unquote, had it all.
1: You covered a lot of area there, and there are a few things that I would like to address, and I really appreciate that. Uh, one thing is that when you were at that lowest point, at ground, ground zero or square zero. What in particular made you realize that you needed to change? Or is it your type of personality that you just, there wasn't maybe that pivotal moment or something that you specifically did. Now you did say that you went to, you know, you had therapy and other things and also you had health issues, which obviously you've been able to deal with, but, is there a point where you had that aha moment where you realize what I'm trying to get at is, is what can people look at in their own life if they reach this point where they have to make a decision? And I'm assuming you made that decision. Mm-hmm. So talk to a little bit about that moment and you know, what that entailed and how you did it and how you didn't let go. Well,
2: it's a, it, it's it's a bit of a hard story to tell. I'll I'll, I'll do my I'll do my best. It's um y- you know when I when I started that journey and decided okay I, I want a different life for myself. I want to be intentional about this. I know it's going to be hard. That was that was when I started going to to see a therapist. Okay, and each week, uh, y- you know, I kept thinking, okay, this is rock bottom. This is rock bottom, and and, and I'm. Three four months into it, and I'm like, I don't get it. I I every week seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. And where's the end of this? And I and I finally walked into my therapist's office, and I said, I, I I've had it. I'm exhausted. And she turned to me and said, Okay, now we can begin. <laughs> and 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 I remember just so dumbfounded. And um, there's there's this book by uh Nishman Lee. It's a uh, sit, walk, stand. And, and he talks a little bit about if, if somebody is drowning, you either have to wait for them to uh, pass out or you have to knock them out to try and save them. Because if you try and save a drowning person, they'll drown you with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was kind of metaphorically where I was at. My therapist had to wait for me to, to knock myself out to where I could finally begin the journey of, of, of you know, recuperating my life again. And so she, she invited me to um, go home and ask God to take me into the hard which of course I thought was a was a bit of a cruel joke, um, but I said, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll try anything at this point. So I went home, lit my prayer candle, got down, and, and, and said, okay, God, um, you haven't answered a prayer before, but take me take me into the heart. Let's see what you got. And and all I can tell you is that a a light switch went off. And, and I dealt with the repressed memories from, you know, my childhood and things of that nature in onesie twosie fashions and, and nightmares or, you know, something that would trigger it throughout the day. But this was more like a floodgate and it was like a highlight reel of dozens upon dozens upon dozens. And it was just flooding into my prefrontal cortex, you know, just these lights flashing and I'm reliving all of these moments after moments Mm -hmm. after moments. And, and I, and I to this day, I don't know if that lasted moments or hours. I remember being in, you know, curled in the fetal position, just sobbing, sobbing hysterically. And, and I finally said, enough, I can't take it. And the light switch went back off, the floodgates closed, and I sat up, and I had no fear. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even bring up a repressed memory if I wanted to. And in in that moment, um, that was where I had finally was able to, to feel the pain, you know, of somebody like my father, a man who, who didn't have a therapist or, or religion or support groups or friends or people to tell him that he was loved, right? That, that was my first time of really feeling um, the pain of another. But wow. that reality of having no fear actually terrified me. And I realized in that moment that my whole life had been predicated on fear, fear of, you, you know, Man. paying, paying bills and buying food and jobs, right? The worth, value, homes, insurance, you, you, you know, healthcare, whatever it is, the fear of trying to control the fear of being enough, you know, all these factors. And, and I realized, okay, God, I'll let you have this one, um, I, I know what you're calling me to right this 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 ability to be free from fear but I'm not ready for it but this is what I'm going to work towards and these are the steps that I'm going to try and take each day to get there and and that's been my journey that's been the work in my books um, even the books that I'm about to release like radical compassion and in in February it's 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 this progressive step of, of trying to get to this greater peace and shalom and joy and love in my life that I get to then share that back to my community to try and break some of these cycles of pain and despair in the world.
1: Gosh, that is so full of so many, um, so much hope because you made that decision at that low point and then you had to go lower. Mm, mm -hmm. and going lower that's the pain that's the trial and yet you didn't give up you hung on and look what happened i love what you say of the different types of fears that you had to encounter you had to deal with like not being enough or not in control or not having enough etc now let's talk about your book running from fear obviously this is the basis the story am i correct for that yes okay so tell us a little bit more about the book for example is it a guide is it a tool is is it self-help is it a story is it all of those who will it help who will it encourage whatever you'd like to share about that particular book first
2: yeah. So, you know, the, the, the book, as I would say, is, is for people longing for more. And, and that can mean you're, you're struggling with certain parts of your life or you're in complete and utter despair. One thing that I try and make clear is that fear is universal. It affects all of us. It, it doesn't matter what kind of front that you want to, to, to put up. We all struggle with 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 like we already said fear of, of maybe not being enough or or fear of not having control right I mean this is this comes down to the money we try and save in our bank account and uh, all, all the way to you know trying to help our kids succeed in life and so um, fear plays a factor in all of us and and I want to encourage that as just a humbling level the playing field opportunity but it's then how do we actually engage it how do we process through it right how do we get to a point of forgiveness and reconciliation so the book is designed more of a half uh, half memoir half self help so i walk you more through my journey and people that would uh, you know affected and played a role in my life okay and 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 then it is going to guide you into to questions and conversation and dialogue to try and give you as i like to say more tools in your tool belt i can't I can't solve everything, you you know, for you. I I can only share with you, you know, what I've learned on my journey. Because I I can promise you that there's moments when you feel like you can tackle the mountain, and there will be moments where, you know, I remember days when the only thing I could be grateful for was my breath, and I had to sit and hold on to that in order to make it through the day. And and those. Those stories of pain and struggle are real and I just want to to encourage folks, especially listening if if they have connected with this at some point in their past or connects with them now that um, that you really are not alone no matter how hard that can seem.
1: That's a that's a huge message and I think this time of year too when so many people are feeling alone mm. it just will resonate. Uh, with a lot of people and I appreciate you sharing that because you're right we are never alone and I thank you for that um so the book like you just mentioned is your story it also uh, gives tools it obviously is encouraging and what about your other book
2: yeah so um as, as you mentioned, Weathering the Corporate Storm is is coming from the business world. I do a lot of consulting and, and things of that nature and lead retreats. Um, but the, the book that I'm most excited about is the one that's that's releasing next year called um, <laughs> Radical Compassion, Subverting a Culture of Hostility. And, and this conversation is actually geared towards um, if running from fear is taking a place of really good self-healing, Radical compassion is kind of that starting to take a step point of how do you re-engage this now back within your relationships, within your community, within your jobs, um, and, and and kind of this notion of how do we actually have a healthy relationship with compassion and make it, you know, not this cute afterthought, but actually a part mm. of our lives, you know, and part of who we are and, and, and what we long for in a world. That often it just seems, and maybe it's the news or social media, but it feels so chaotic and divided and torn. And, and yet, ironically, every one of us has the power to end all of the injustices tomorrow. And so it's inviting us into those difficult conversations.
1: Do you think that uh, compassion with, for a lot of people indicates a sign of weakness?
2: Mm, Absolutely. I think we live in a society that compassion is seen as weakness, fear is seen as weakness, vulnerability is seen as weakness. And, uh, you know, if you called me six years ago, I, I probably would have agreed, if I'm being honest. Having said that, now going through that journey... I can promise you that vulnerability and compassion and facing fears takes so much more courage and strength than, than pretending to have it all in this life.
1: <laughs> and why is that a good thing?
2: You know what? I, I would say we miss out on, on the opportunity for authenticity. Um, we we miss out on the opportunity for deeper joy and deeper love in our life because we try and keep fear and vulnerability and compassion at bay, and and it's to our own fault, you know, because we are taught that culturally or through our parents or through you, you know whatever society you know societal cons- constructs that come at us, but um, we we are definitely taught this false narrative and 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 it becomes one of our greatest roadblocks that keeps us from engaging the joy that we could you know obtain in our life
1: and that brings balance i i think that that's what you're you're really talking about here mm-hmm. isn't it because of all the things that you mentioned that are negative you, there's also the positive that counteracts that and this is what you're bringing in when you are facing your fears, when you are compassionate towards others, when you're giving a helping hand. Um, expound a little bit more on the actual word compassion, and what that means. Let's maybe give some specific examples from your book, because when I think of compassion, it means it could mean, depending upon the circumstance, feeling sorry for somebody. But I think mm. I think that you're going much deeper than that so share a little bit about what you expound on that
2: so here's the context that I want I, I want to give it from is because you you mentioned that you have listeners from all over the world and and in some cases um, the the country that I live in in the United States of America has been perceived as um, the, the the leader in the world or you, you know maybe a a global standard of what to achieve, too, and yet in my country, we know politically we're more divided than we, you know, were pre-World War II. Um, in a time when we when we have the most wealth per capita, we actually have 40 million Americans suffering at any given point in time mm-hmm. from anxiety and depression. You know, we have the number one incarceration rates right. per capita. I mean, we have a lot of things that say this is not working. And so when I look at a, a topic of like compassion, I say well why isn't it working? And and you already kind of alluded to it with with compassion being this notion of having sympathy or just feeling sorry for somebody. And and what I try to break break compassion down is is actually into four steps. Okay? Yes, it does start with sympathy. Where, where you would listen to the cry of another person, right? Um, but we have to move into the state of empathy, where it actually is going to connect back to your story, where you feel the pain and it is a part of you. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean you are you are connecting within the story of the pain. And then the the, the third one would be in the solidarity of it. You're joining in that pain now with with the person or the environment or the group that is suffering this injustice, and then the fourth and final act is actually where the action comes in of the generosity component of compassion. So um, there's 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 lots of classic examples, but um, what, whatever it is for for you and your community, that could be um, donating your time and resources. It could be connecting to solve issues. So some of the organizations we work with build water filters that go to um, areas, water resource poor areas throughout the world. We have communities that are illiterate or don't have resources for good education. And so compassion is sometimes seen as I'm going to donate $20 and, and, and I did my part. Mm. No, that's that's a very shallow interpretation of <laughs> compassion. You just you just skipped straight, you skipped sympathy, you skipped empathy and you skipped solidarity, straight to generosity. So you actually didn't have to connect with that problem. Sympathy means okay. So this person may not have a coat and it's now Michigan in the middle of winter and it's you know going to be freezing tonight. Sympathy is hearing them talk about their struggles. Empathy is feeling what it is like to lose that. The solidarity is physically going to that place and being with that person. And then the last thing is to provide the physical coat. But you're connecting with that story because now you have the opportunity to share love and grace and compassion all together because here's the final thing I would say about it. We think of compassion as serving the poor, and I'm going to agree with that statement 100%, but I'm going to change the definition of poor, because poor is not just about finances. You can be poor in spirit. You can be poor in health. You can be poor in love and passion, and when you open that definition up, You realize that we are all poor in one way, shape, or form, and that invites us all to the table to engage compassion with each other, and that's how you start moving a community forward.
1: I don't think I've ever heard a better explanation of the word compassion and the four parts to it. I loved it, and I appreciate that. To me, that also is part of paying it forward. Would you agree? Mm Mm-hmm. And... You know the feeling you get when you pay it forward. So consequently, when you are compassionate, it does full circle, doesn't it? It comes back to you. That's what I'd like you to share a little bit more on. So why is this a benefit? Why is this beneficial for you to have this, this attitude? How does it help you? In any way, whether it's your, um, you know, not just you as an individual, but even in business or whatever else. Why is that key? Why is that a key element?
2: So there's something that I like to label cyclical compassion. I talk about it a bit in the book. And, and, and this notion of we, we get in these places of I have something to offer and I choose where to give it and that takes us in this this almost like the superiority or this god complex right of like i have the resources and i'm in control and it's 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 another one of those false narratives that actually keeps us uh, from the pain of those people or places or things that we're trying to serve and and what i would actually say is it even keeps us further from the pain in our own lives and so once we're actually able to again to engage that despair of the other person, whatever the injustice may be, that then opens us back up to that vulnerability, to engage in empathy, right? To feel it within ourselves, to understand our own pain and share that back with the world. Because once we can acknowledge it, once we can see our own poorness, we can then move towards making our own selves whole as well. Because here's, here's the thing, Carol. We love to think that, especially in my culture, that we are a independent, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps culture. <laughs> and we don't think we are dependent on anybody but ourselves. <laughs> and and I love to give speeches, especially when you got a room full of business people, and say, <laughs> so you think you're so independent. Yeah, Tell no me, <laughs> how, how does your cell phone work? And did you make it? And did you build the roads that got you here? And did you make your car and sew your clothes and grow your food? No, you didn't do any of those things. Other people around the entire world, millions upon millions of people, are interwoven. And what we don't see is when one part of that system, when I in America buy a shirt, for $10, that means that's because somebody else in Cambodia or Vietnam or China was paying for it with their physical labors, right, of, of sweat and slave labor, right? So there becomes these breaks in the chains where I'm gaining at the expense of somebody else. And part of the opportunity of compassion, right, is to break that and re-engage into a new cycle where we see the cries of others and ourselves and we say that your cry – is no less worthy than my cry and my cry is no less worthy than yours. And together we are in this because we are all connected into one.
1: What I'm hearing you say as far as uh, this book is you are challenging people to do some soul searching.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: And that can be painful, but more importantly, it can be, well, not only enlightening but also can change your life for the better. Is that, the, bo- is that the bottom line? Y- yes, and, and what I
2: would say to people is, um, if you've ever tried to say exercise, right? <laughs> <laughs> you you don't get to sprint a six minute mile on your first try. Right. So you also have to hold this tension with some grace and compassion on yourself because none of us are going to give it get it right on the first try or the twentieth try. And I'm still working on it. And 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 the opportunity here is to say that we can keep learning and trying and working on it together. And and that will lead us to a greater joy.
1: Well, you certainly are challenging not only myself, but our audience, and I appreciate that. Now, your first book, Running From Fear, definitely will answer, I'm sure, a lot of people's uh, questions and because people deal with fear or try to deal with fear and don't necessarily know how. So let's, with this book, they're really going to get some tools, some steps, including a story, your story that shows that you know what you're talking about. And so I think that this is a book that needs to be read before we read the next one, which is coming out. Would you agree or should can they be read individually?
2: I would personally encourage uh, Running From Fear is part one. Radical okay. Compassion is part two. Um, and there, there is a part three coming out at the end of 2019. <laughs> we'll save that for another okay. time. Okay, all right. Um, but, yeah, if, if you can, um, it would be best to, to read Running from Fear first. But if, if you can't, they are technically standalone
1: books as well. Okay. Very good. Is there anything you want to say as far as uh, capitalizing what you said or um, anything in particular regarding a challenge or a word of encouragement?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the if, if, if you never take anything away from my first book, except for one line, uh, one, one of my favorite things to share is if you let the pain and the mistakes of your past define the present, you will never have a future. And I, and I say that to encourage us to just open up the door to that healing wound. And, and, and for those that are listening that have been able to reverberate again, I just want to repeat that, um, I'm am, I am with you and I am for you and and this pain doesn't have to define us and 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 not only are you not alone but through the work the hard and the difficult work there is more joy to be had on the other side waiting for us all
1: Fad that's an incredible synopsis and it's so encouraging so thank you so much for sharing uh, never, Ever Give Up Hope. Today, we're going to be walking away with lots of things to think about, new challenges, uh, but more importantly, encouragement and hope. And I thank you for being on the show.
2: Oh, it was my delight. Thank you, Carol. Uh, bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of 5 stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.